Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7? Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another emergency episode of the Prospect Podcast. I love doing these, and I love when we get a big NFL trade less than a week off from the draft on a Friday afternoon, right when you think you're ready to settle in for the weekend, and for me to think about what am I going to discuss and write about over these next five or six days leading up to the draft, we get a gigantic trade that involves a gigantic human being, Orlando Brown, going from right tackle in Baltimore to left tackle in Kansas City, a, a trade between two AFC powers, two of the top three or four or five teams in the AFC swinging a deal this close to the draft. And being a draft guy, I would normally side with a team, with the team in terms of winners and losers that gets more draft picks. Cause I'm a big proponent of yes, have your evaluations, have confidence in, in how you scout, but get more roles at the table. And the, of course the Ravens got more selections in this deal than the, the chiefs, the Ravens get the chiefs first round pick number 31 overall, their third rounder number 94 overall, their fourth round pick number 136 and a 2022 fifth round selection to trade Orlando Brown to the Chiefs and the Chiefs get a 2021 second round pick number 58 overall and a 2022 sixth round selection from the Ravens. So essentially the Chiefs are just moving back from 31 to 58. If you want to say that those 2022 day three selections are negligible, which I think they are a sixth rounder for the Chiefs and a fifth rounder for the Ravens. They basically moved back from 31 to 58 and then sent a third and a fourth rounder over the weekend to get Orlando Brown. I think the Chiefs won this trade. It's not a, a huge margin, but I think it's not minuscule. I think it's it, by a good size, 
the Chiefs won this trade. Number one, and this might sound like too obvious, but they're helping a team that they've had extreme problems looking even competent on offense or defense against. They, they've had some great defenses the past couple of years. They faced Patrick Mahomes. They faced that Chiefs defense. They look like a team that's going to go 6-10 and 10, or 6-11 and 11 now, I should say. So they're helping out the team that just represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. And that might be like, again, too simple of analysis, but most of the time we don't see such a big interconference trade like this. Also, I don't think they gave up that much. To move from 31 just down to 58 into round two, to get that second rounder, I think is fantastic. And I'm, for the most part, the sixth rounder that the Chiefs get and the fifth rounder for the Ravens get, negligible. Next year, day three selections, and to only move a third and a fourth rounder to get Orlando Brown, I think is and then obviously moving back, I think is a gigantic win for a Chiefs team that clearly after that insane Super Bowl, that was almost kind of a parody because of the offensive line play facing that fantastic Buccaneers defensive line. Everyone knew like they need offensive tackles. Even if Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher were coming back and they were healthy, they're in their thirties and they're good players, but they needed to plan for the future because they're not on the roster and and uh Patrick Mahomes needs at least some semblance of decent blocking on the edges. It was a telegraphed pick for the Chiefs. At 31, they got to go offensive tackle. And obviously with Patrick Mahomes being locked in for the next decade in Kansas City, the Super Bowl window is wide open for Kansas City. And I think before this trade, even me think like I was thinking, you know, the Chiefs even if they they get an offensive tackle at 31, they're going to be starting a rookie and they're bringing Kyle Long out of retirement. Joe Tooney's very good. They paid him $16 million per year at the guard spot. They're going to probably still have Mike Remmers out there somewhere. It didn't look like the best outlook for that offensive line. I think, of course, Patrick Mahomes can do crazy things improvisationally and outside of structure, but you don't really want to set up another season with Patrick Mahomes and with the Super Bowl window wide open uh, with an offensive line that's not solid. And now the Chiefs have certainly upgraded the offensive line. They still need to do some work. They're going to get Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back from his opt-out last year. But this is a huge upgrade from any of the offensive tackles they could have gotten. Orlando Brown was my offensive tackle one in the 2018 draft class. I was one of the few people that did not care about his pro day or his combine workout and actually thought the criticism and, you know, people making fun of it was incorrect because he was six, eight, three and he went through the entire workout. We always hear that coaches and scouts, we want to see you compete. We want to see what you can do. Don't opt out. Don't or Orlando Brown went through pretty much everything and it dropped him to the third round. His film at Oklahoma was fantastic. He just blocked everything. And I don't really think his workout relative to being six, seven, and seven eighths and 345 pounds was really that brutal. Was it great? No. 
but we just haven't seen a player that gigantic. I thought it was a hats off to him for going through the whole workout. Goes in round three. That Ozzy Newsome final draft, man. Lamar Jackson trading back up to get him to land Orlando Brown in the third round, who, by the way, has been one of the best right tackles in the NFL since joining the NFL. I mean, he did pick Hayden Hurst in round one. That was a bad pick, but trading back up to get Lamar Jackson, getting Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews, Bradley Bozeman's played a little bit. The rest of the class isn't great, but those three, four players are marquee talents. That was the last Ozzie Newsome draft, and he ended with a bang with that draft class, especially at the top. Hayden Hurst, Lamar Jackson, Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews. So I think now moving over to the Baltimore Ravens, I understand why they made this trade because last year they gave Ronnie Stanley the most fully guaranteed dollars of any left tackle in the league, a little over $64 million fully guaranteed at signing the day before Halloween last year. And that's huge. Like we always hear about average per year. But if you've listened to this podcast, if you follow me on Twitter, I even wrote about this during draft season, I think during free agency. It's easy to say, let's stack them average per year, but fully guaranteed at signing matters more than anything else. When we hear about a player getting released before the end of his contract, which is like happens to 95% of NFL players, it's because there's no more fully guaranteed money and the teams can just get rid of them or there's minimal. There's not a lot of dead cap. $64 million fully guaranteed at signing, $24 million more than Trent Williams, who's at number two, just over $40 million. Laramie Tunsil right at 40 Taylor Lewan at 34 David Bakhtiari at 30. Andrew Thomas is in there, 32.3, but that's his rookie deal. If you are a average per year person, Ronnie Stanley's still at number four. So it's pretty rare to see a team pay its right and its left tackle like in the top five of the league in terms of average per year or fully guaranteed money. So to me, Ronnie Stanley is the highest paid left tackle in football. And I think even though looking into the future, the Ravens have a fair amount of cap space next year in 2023, they have the 11th most cap space in the league, but it is important to remember Lamar Jackson's coming up and teams, almost every team has thresholds for how much they're willing to pay specific positions collectively. So I think Eric DaCosta, who learned under Ozzie Newsom forever, John Harbaugh, one of the most stable GM and head coaching tandems in the league, said, hey, we have the money and we are a, a run-based team and we know that our offensive line is important, but we can't pay top dollar to two offensive tackles. We just can't do it. We're not going to – I mean, we like Orlando Brown, but we're, we're not going to go above our – uh, thresholds, and they would most likely have to go significantly above that. Jumping back to the Chiefs now on this topic, Orlando Brown's in the final year of his contract. He, in of course, being a third-round pick, no fifth-year option. I think he's going to aim for $20 million per year. That would put him right behind Trent Williams, David Bakhtiari, and Laramie Tunsil to be, the in that category, fourth-highest-paid left tackle in the league. 
there's usually a little bit of a bump. Like left tackles still get paid a little more than right tackles. In terms of fully guaranteed at signing dollars, maybe somewhere mid thirties. I mean, I, I think the Ronnie Stanley deal was structured pretty uniquely. That's why it's so much higher. That it is the most fully guaranteed at signing dollars at sixty four million, but the fourth highest in average per year. But Trent Williams at just over forty. Bakhtiari, uh, actually, where's Bakhtiari? He must be. He is way lower um, at thirty million. Laramie Tunsil at 40, Taylor Luan at 34. There, I already brought those up. I think Orlando Brown's going to ask for 20 or 20, 21 million average per year. And then around 30 to 35 million fully guaranteed at signing. So for the Chiefs, you went from, hey, we're throwing out practice squad and bottom of the roster players, and we're moving right guards to right tackles for the Super Bowl, and to Joe Tooney making. $16 million per year, 31. And he, he truly is the highest paid left guard in the league. 16 million average per year, almost 32 million fully guaranteed at signing more than $7 million higher than Quentin Nelson. Who's on that rookie deal. Andrews Pete, 23 million. So they're have a, a shiny new, what will be a very expensive offensive line. And looking ahead, we know that, Cap space can be manipulated. The Chiefs don't have a ton. Uh, in 2023, they have the third fewest cap dollars. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they already have Patrick Mahomes locked up. And a lot of teams don't have a quarterback that's signed through like 2030, like Patrick Mahomes is, whatever it is, for that decade-long contract that he signed. So they'll have to do some maneuvering, and they're going to have to draft very well. But... I like it more for the Chiefs, again, because they took away from one of the better teams in the AFC, immediately upgraded a clear-cut need with Orlando Brown, who turns 25 during draft weekend, or right after the draft, May 2nd. And they didn't have to trade an arm and a leg to get him. Essentially, what amounts to a third and a fourth round pick, and then you slide from 31 to 58. They can still get a quality player. They want another edge rusher. If they want uh, more secondary help, if they want a receiver to add to that group that lost Sammy Watkins, they could get a really good player there. The Super Bowl window is wide open, and the last thing you want to do is not have a good offensive line and essentially waste a season of Patrick Mahomes in his early 20s, or mid-20s, I should say. So I think the Chiefs, by a decent margin, win this trade. But when it comes to the Ravens, and Eric DaCosta recently said this during a press conference, a pre-draft press conference with the Baltimore media, that, hey, like, I understand, you know, we put all the work into this draft that we kind of, this is kind of obviously paraphrasing, but we understand, and Ozzie Newsom taught him, that we understand that it's pretty luck-driven, and to work that compensatory system to get as many picks as possible. And that is truly, I think, the driving force behind the Ravens being as good as they've been for as long as they've been since they've really been in Baltimore. That they have, uh, I mean, made so many picks last year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten picks. 
in that 2018 draft class. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 selections. And then in the prime and even near the end of Ozzie Newsom being the GM there, they're making double-digit picks almost every other year. They have more, probably even than the Patriots, have understood let's draft as many players as we can. So if we hit on 33% of them, we're going to have more players who are quality impact guys than a team that's picking five or six every year or four and trading up and are so sure about that first rounder that they want or that second or third rounder that they're going to trade two and three picks to get him. They're going to be probably close to us in the, in the long run in terms of hit rate on draft picks. So I, I don't despise it from a, a Ravens perspective because now they have a bunch of picks um, and, and those, they really cherish and savor those mid-round selections. They have 27 overall now, 31 overall in this trade. They do not have a second-round pick because they traded that to the Chiefs in this deal, which is, again, part of the reason why I really like it for Kansas City. Then they pick at 95, 105, 132 in round four, 137 in round four, and then two picks in round five, one in round six, they have a lot of draft capital. And if they do, if they fall in love with a guy earlier in round three, they could package some of those picks and move up. They usually don't move up very often. And when they have, it's been like, you know, to get that fifth year option for Lamar Jackson, which what a gift that keeps on giving from Ozzie Newsom to Eric DaCosta to have that fifth year option for Lamar Jackson. They could do that. They could ultimately package some of those deals, but I think they realize let's make a lot of picks. We love Orlando Brown, but we cannot pay two offensive tackles top of the the market contracts. So I guess actually talking, like saying these, like this analysis out loud is making me realize that it's maybe not as brutal as I initially thought. First, I thought, wow, that is not a lot for the Chiefs to give up. And I still think they, by not a thin margin, a solid margin, win this trade. But it's not terrible if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan. You have to trust that Eric DaCosta knows what he's doing. Uh, Again, the Ravens have been very steady in terms of being a a either playoff contender or a borderline Super Bowl contender. They've been in the playoffs the last three seasons. Then there was a three-year gap where they did not make the playoffs. And that's why going into that 2018 season, there was some talk like, is John Harbaugh on the hot seat? Before that, they made the playoffs five of six seasons, missed a year, then made it in twenty in 2006 with Brian Billick. But basically the John Harbaugh uh, tenure there in Baltimore, they are, they've had one losing season, five and 11 in 2015. That was like, you know, getting where we kind of realized that Joe Flacco might not be elite after they won the Super Bowl two, three years earlier. So I think for the Ravens, they said, hey, we want third and fourth rounders. That's where we live. That's our big part of our draft philosophy. Although they certainly need to hit on those picks. They haven't hit on a bunch of those in a while. I mean, Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown in 2018. Jalen Ferguson was a whiff. Miles Boykin has never really amounted to that electric wide receiver in terms of his explosiveness that we saw at Notre Dame. 
Obviously, the verdict is still out on Justin Matabuke. Devin Duvernay flashed a little. Malik Harrison, the linebacker from Ohio State, didn't have a good rookie season. There is tackle Tyree Phillips, who's played a little guard. Those are all in last year's draft class. They just want a lot of those extra picks. The biggest reason, though, and I've kind of talked on, on both sides of this, why mm-hmm. I like it more for the Chiefs by a decent margin is that they took from a contender. And I think that you will see times in 2021 where the Ravens have gone from a position of strength at right tackle to somewhat of a liability. And even if they get a really good player at either 27 or at 31, I I don't think he's going to come in and be as dominant, especially in the run game as Orlando Brown had become over his first three seasons in the NFL. Good pass protector. It's just so hard to run that arc around how long he is and how big he is. You could beat him around the corner. It's going to take you like three and a half seconds to get there. And he's just a bulldozer in the run game. He moves actually on the field pretty well for 6'8 and 350. And he's you cannot bull rush him. He's got pretty good lateral quickness for being that size to get against to get to an inside move like a swim or just a swipe to the inside. And the Ravens were pretty productive on the ground and offensively over the past three or four seasons with him as a staple at right tackle. It's kind of a difficult situation for Baltimore to have all of a sudden your right tackle say, Hey, I want to be a left tackle. And there was the report that he said, you know, his, his late father, uh, that he always said that his son was a left tackle and like his dad played in the NFL. So it was kind of a fluky thing for that to come about. That typically doesn't happen where a right tackle just says, Hey, I want to get paid like a left tackle. I want to play there particularly when you have a all pro left tackle in Ronnie Stanley. So the Ravens were kind of throwing a little bit of a curveball. I think they handled it decently, not amazingly. I would not have traded him to the Kansas city chiefs if I was Eric DaCosta, but Eric DaCosta knows 75 times more about football than I do. I like throwing out huge numbers when I'm talking about me compared to GMs and coaches in the league. That's that seems about right. Maybe 75 to 100 times more about team building and uh, just the game in general than I do. Eric DeCoss is one of the best GMs in the league. But I do think Brett Veach, the Chiefs GM, did a tremendous job in this trade and has done a fantastic job patching this offensive line together over this offseason. I was legit worried like we were going to see a drastic regression from Patrick Mahomes, not to average quarterback, but not a MVP candidate type because of the offensive line. But I think after the Super Bowl, it was kind of weird that Patrick Mahomes didn't take a lot of criticism for him kind of calling out his offensive line when I think a lot of other quarterbacks would have. But anyway, that's regardless, or or, or that's beyond the point. I think Brett Feet got the message there. Like, hey, my franchise quarterback who probably is going to go to the Hall of Fame is not happy about the situation in the Super Bowl and how the offensive line was a bunch of undrafted free agents and fourth rounders and journeymen playing different positions. Um, obviously, this is after the Eric Fisher injury and Mitchell Schwartz injury, but they were holding on to those players for a long time anyway at the two tackle spots. So he gets Joe Tooney in free agency, brings Kyle Long out of retirement, and then trades 
for Orlando Brown and does not trade too much to get him. What this means moving forward, and I'll get to this quickly at the end of this episode, for the draft. So I said that the Ravens now have two picks, 27 and 31 in round one. So they'll be picking somewhere around 11 o'clock and then maybe close to midnight. It definitely opens up. I mean, of course, right tackle could be a spot. I think if Tevin Jenkins somehow would be there at 27 overall, and that would be, seems like a little bit late for him, but it wouldn't shock me. There would be your plug and play guy. I think that would be the closest replacement to Orlando Brown that they could get in the first round. Tevin Jenkins career right tackle at Oklahoma state. That's where he played last year. He is a road grader. Very technically sound. He's my number three offensive tackle. I have him actually grade a little higher than that. That would be good. Wide receiver, obviously, and I got to throw it in. That's the low-hanging fruit. Even though John Harbaugh and Eric DeCosta came out and said, hey, 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 we like our wide receivers. They bring in Sammy Watkins, but it's a group that needs an upgrade. It needs more reinforcement. Needs an infusion of more talent. Marquise Brown's not a number one receiver. I like James Prochet. I like Devin Duvernay. Miles Boykins flashed occasionally. Not very often. And Sammy Watkins is a good, like, number. He's a high-level number three. You need more for your quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Mark Andrews is a, one of the best tight ends in the league, maybe top five, top seven. But you just can't rely on being as efficient on the ground as you were when he won the MVP in 2019. You can't think, hey, we're going to run for 2,600 yards this year at, like, five yards per carry. I mean, you know with Lamar Jackson, you are going to be one of the better running teams, and that is a part of his game. But Greg Roman's historic or Greg Roman historically has come out of the gates as a offensive coordinator in San Francisco and in Buffalo and been tremendous with his running games. And then in that year two, there's a regression. In Buffalo, he never really made it to year three. And then with the 49ers, it was like Kaepernick kind of regressed a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see with Greg Roman there going into his third season as the offensive coordinator uh, in Baltimore, like how he changes things. I think he's a progressive guy. I don't think he needs to be running power stuff every single game and that being the focal point of the offense. But he understands and he knows why he was made offensive coordinator to tailor a run-based system around Lamar Jackson's strengths. So they're not going to completely go away from that. But I do think off or wide receiver and obviously right tackle um, will be addressed. And I think even at 31, it wouldn't shock me if Rashad Bateman is there. I, I've heard some stuff recently that he could be the guy that falls in the wide receiver class. Terrace Marshall from LSU, another one. Some injury concerns with him. But if you get him at 31, you're okay with that, especially having that extra selection. Uh, there's not a ton of gaping holes in a team that made the divisional round last year in the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, like I said, Eric DeCosta's done, done a great job building this team up. I think even uh, at one of the guard spots, Bradley Bozeman, uh, interior or on the interior, Patrick Mercari at center, they could use a center. They could pick Creed Humphrey at 31, maybe Landon Dickerson at 31. I think both of those would be a little bit too early for those players. I'm a little bit lower on Landon Dickerson than most, but Dickerson kind of feels like a Ravens type of pick. They like those oversized players in the trenches on offense and defense. He could play center or guard. 
in the NFL coming off the late season ACL tear. Don't be surprised if that's the pick, but probably one of those two picks will be made on the offensive line. And if you're doing cost benefit analysis, it's like, yeah, you are picking a player that you created the vacancy for by trading Orlando Brown. But for as much as he would have been cheap in 2021, you would have had to pay him crazy money that you just don't want to spend at that same position that you have Ronnie Stanley at in 2022. So you would get a cost controlled first round pick for four seasons, maybe five. If you pick up that fifth year contract or fifth year option. I don't think edge rusher is out of the question either for the Ravens. I mean, Pernell McPhee is back. uh, And that defensive line that they kind of built up with veterans with, Derek Wolf and Clay's Campbell, it's getting up there in age. I mean, they have Justin Matabuke, who I mentioned earlier, Roderick Washington from Texas Tech, who they picked in the fifth round last year. But not a lot else that's going to bring a lot of juice in terms of being a great pass rusher. But we know that the Ravens and Wink Martindale, they blitz more than any other team in the league. It's a 3-4 base that is going to have a defensive line that's going to eat a lot of blocks and let their outside linebackers create a lot of pressure, but they lose um, Matt Judon in free agency to the Patriots. Uh, I think edge rusher would make a lot of sense and it would not surprise me whatsoever. If that is the direction that they go with one of those first picks in round one. And, And now they have two at 27 and 31. So wide receiver, offensive tackle, maybe guard, maybe Creed Humphrey, maybe Landon Dickerson center an edge rusher for the Baltimore Ravens. I won't get into what the chiefs could do because they're picking at 58 overall. Now we won't know who's going to be on the board. Uh, I brought up a few earlier. They could go wide receiver. They could add to the secondary. They could add to the edge group. Um, maybe even tight end. That could be like Brevin Jordan at 58 or Pat Fryermuth to be that kind of uh, heir apparent to Travis Kelsey. Although I don't think they're they're envisioning Travis Kelsey falling off a cliff, but to just add another weapon uh, at the tight end spot with Travis Kelsey being in his 30s now, uh, that wouldn't shock me. But I, I think the Chiefs and Brett Veach, hats off to them. Seems like the best GMs in the league, and I'll finish with this, understand that we went through this period where it was like the the smart teams stay out of free agency. They, they don't, they, you know, we're, we're watching Daniel Snyder in the early to mid two thousands, make these big splashes in free agency that are flopping. It seems like though, now the best GMs understand that mid-level free agency is very important. And that if there's a good player out there on another team that you need to trade some picks for, and you got to give him money, make that trade Look at the Cardinals and, DeAndre Hopkins. How about the Bills and Stephon Diggs? Brandon Bean gave up a lot. A first-round pick, a third-rounder, a fourth-rounder. He got the leading wide receiver in the NFL last year, both catches and receiving yards. And now the Kansas City Chiefs bring in Orlando Brown to fill a gaping hole at left tackle. So I think the best GMs in the league, look what the Rams have done. They've been perennial contenders. They're not afraid to trade for players. It does increase the importance on your draft classes. And I'm not going to take anything away from the Ravens saying, Hey, we are going to stick with our time tested philosophy of getting as many roles at the table as possible. But it does seem like the best GMs are unafraid to be aggressive in free agency 
like the Chiefs, like the Bills, like the Rams, uh, like the Seahawks, like certainly like the Buccaneers. But also explore the trade market when you can. And I think the Chiefs won this trade. All right, that'll do it for this emergency episode of the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening.